It's a real, real pleasure to be learning together with everyone. And in the interim, in the two weeks that I was away in Eretz Yisrael, and I was so blessed to be there, a lot of simchas happened in just the group that is here together with us. So a mazel tov to everybody that had simchas while I was gone. And Amir Tashem, it should be Techel Shana Ubir Choseha. We should be able to have wonderful simchas in the coming year and a lot of different things to celebrate together as a community. And all of that should be contagious to all of those who are still waiting to have simchas in their home and in their families. They should have the opportunity to celebrate Yeshua Hashem Keheref Ayin. As I thought a lot about how to introduce Chodesh Elul, even though we're already into the season, but how to think about Rosh Hashanah and some thoughts and ideas to consider. One of the very important primary sources that I look at every year is Rav Soloveitchik's beautiful book called Al HaTshuva. Al HaTshuva is basically the essays that were written up from many of the tshuva drashas that Rav Soloveitchik gave in this season of year. And as he always is, extremely expressive, very personal, talks about his own feelings. And what I found here is something that to me, was very personal, again, of, of his own life experience, but he brings it into the experience that we're supposed to be feeling now in this time of the year. So what I want to do this morning is really just learn through this together. As you'll see, it's numbered. I just skipped around. I didn't want to read through all the pages together, so that's why I only put different snippets of one piece that he has. Of course, to read this in its entirety and so much more would be very, very valuable for everybody. But let's just deal with what we have here. We start with number one, where Avsalavechik basically describes the following phenomenon, which is familiar to all of us in our own personal lives. And you'll see as we go forward how this is relevant to this time of the year. He begins as follows. Yeshno kav tragi m'suyam m'goral ha'adam. There is a very unfortunate reality that we all confront in our life experience. V'kemat she'en adam she'en There's almost no one in the world that doesn't have an opportunity in life to celebrate, but also to feel some kind of despondency, some kind of dejection. Not, I wouldn't say a depression. Not everybody goes into a depression, but there are times in our lives when we feel despondent, when we feel things just aren't going the way they should. We feel very distant. The aspects of our lives which are most dear, which are most treasured, which are most cherished in our lives, unfortunately, he says, we don't give them the proper appreciation. So long as they are in front of us, we really don't appreciate them as much as we should. And everybody knows this. You get married, 25 years into the marriage, a husband and wife are not looking at each other or treating each other or respecting each other or appreciating one another the way they should. Often it's just not the case. Even though you are the most indispensable part of my life, but yet because you're so familiar to me and because you become such a constant in my life, so it's hard for me to appreciate the value of that entity, of that aspect of my life, which is of course, not a trivial part, but is the most important and treasured and celebrated part of my life. We don't really appreciate them. We start to appreciate these aspects and these facets of our lives once they are distant from us. The greatest ultimate distance is when they are no longer here in the world. We don't appreciate our parents the way we should until we come to a point where, unfortunately, we can't appreciate them anymore. At that point, they become unreachable. They become inaccessible to us. At that point in life, they're as far to us, as distant as the stars in the heaven. We look up at the sky and we see a beautiful sky and we see a beautiful star, but it's so far away from us. And we look to our parents and we look to our loved ones and we appreciate so much what they are, what they represent, but they're so far away at this point. How much we love them, how much we appreciated them. Abba, Ima, Rebbe, Raya, Ubal. 
a father, a mother, a teacher, a spouse. But while they were with us in our lives, we just weren't able to bring ourselves to appreciate what that was. Everybody draws from their own experiences. Sometimes I draw from my experiences in the summer when I'm in Camp Simcha. And unfortunately, I've had not once, but more than once, the opportunity to be with families, which is always an opportunity to be with a family, but unfortunately, in the most tragic of times, a family who has lost a child, a family who had a sick child and then did not beat the cancer, did not beat the illness. And you see sometimes, lo aleichem velo aleinu. You see sometimes the regret that parents have. Why did I say this to my child? Why didn't I appreciate what this child meant to me? Why did I never express to this child how much I loved and valued their part in my life? With all the challenges that this child brought, and every child has challenges, and every family has dynamics. But it's not only with a parent to a child, it's with every relationship that we have. I'm not talking about people, he says, who didn't respect their parents properly. We're talking about somebody who did respect their parents. I'm not talking about somebody who didn't have a good relationship with their spouse. I'm talking about somebody who did. Somebody who did have a nice relationship with their parents and their children and their spouses. And yet he says, it comes to a point where everybody feels a sense of guilt and regret. Why did I not take advantage? My brother, my sister, my parents, my grandparents, my child. Why did I not value it enough? And give it the cover that it really deserved. Or give it the appreciation that I should have showed. And that's natural. And that's normal. And he says when Chazal set up a system of Shiva and Shloshim and Yud Beis Chodesh. And a period of grieving and mourning. All of that he writes is just the technical piece of getting through that time period. But emotionally inside. Beyond the Shiva and the Shloshim and all the friends who are coming. There comes a time when every individual who suffers a loss is going to have that feeling of emptiness. That feeling of loneliness. That feeling of terrible regret for not taking enough advantage of what was there for them in their lives. Go to number two here on the top left of the page. These emotional feelings are so agonizing, are so painful. And he suggests sometimes it's worse than the loss itself. It's worse than the loss itself. Hanefesh yotzas migaguim. Sometimes you can just get lost in these feelings of longing. He says, I'll give you a personal example. Before this year, Rosh Hashanah, Every year, Rav Salavechik used to give a big tshuva drasha. Thousands of people used to come and listen and be inspired by him. And he says this year, I was in my own head, I was imagining my own father. And he describes his father and what his father meant to him. That's an amazing statement. My father was my only teacher. My father was everything. And he says, I looked around and I realized my father is no longer. But he was my everything. And here I am preparing something to talk about. And of course, the natural first phone call that I would have made would have been to my father. To ask him, what does he think? Does he agree? Does he disagree? Does he have a comment? Does he have something to add? An anecdote, a thought, something to share. And he says, here I found myself in my own, lost in my own imagination. And realizing that I have to face the reality that my father's not here. And if my father's not here, I can't 
consult with him and I can't speak with him. You know what I would give, he says, to have five minutes with my father? What would I give to have five minutes with my father? And what would I talk to him about? See, people are looking very serious right now. I'll lighten the mood for a moment. I saw a couple of years ago, there was somebody who did a questionnaire. He was asking lots of people randomly, if you had the opportunity to have anyone in your house for a Shabbos meal, who would you invite? So some people said, Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Kiva Eger, I would want to have my grandfather, my grandmother, or something, whatever it may have been. Everybody had their own ideas. He asked Rabbi David Feinstein. I find it very interesting that Rabbi David Feinstein gave the response that he did. I'm bothered by the fact that somebody wasted Rabbi David Feinstein's question, time to ask him such a stupid question. But okay, it's fine. Um, I don't know. I guess I live my whole life with somebody who actually values time. Like who's not wasting time. And it just gets under my skin when I see people coming to my father and asking him such silly things. Like, what's your favorite pusik? You know? How... When your wife gave birth, like, where were you? I don't know. Like, why, why are these things relevant or important? And why should we be taking someone's precious time who actually values every moment of time to talk about such things? Anyway, Rabbi David Feinstein responded that if he had the opportunity to invite anyone to his house for a Shabbos meal, he would go out into the street and find the first three Aniyim that didn't have food and he would bring them into his house. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's a real person. But most of us would not have said that. Most of us would have said, you know what I would give to have another Shabbos meal with my grandfather? Another Shabbos meal with my spouse? With my child? With my loved one? With somebody who I remember so fondly, who was such a presence in my life? And Rav Soloveitchik describes this, as he writes, Ga'aguim, this insurmountable pain that a person has, the longing that we have for that beloved figure in our lives. In a very different context, Rav Soloveitchik writes in a totally different book. I'm going to read it in English. On the seventh day of Pesach, 1967, I awoke from a fitful sleep a thunderstorm was raging outside and the wind and the rain blew angrily through the window of my room. Half awake, I quickly jumped to my feet and closed the window. I then thought to myself that my wife was sleeping downstairs in the sunroom next to the parlor and I remembered that the window was left open there as well. She could catch pneumonia, which in her weakened state would be devastating. I quickly ran downstairs. I rushed into her room. I slammed the window shut. I then turned around to see whether she had awoken from the storm or she was still sleeping. But I found the room empty. The couch where she slept was neatly covered. In reality, she had passed away the previous month. The most tragic and frightening experience was the shock that I encountered in that half a second when I turned around from the window only to find an empty room. I was certain that a few hours earlier I had only been talking to her and that about 10 o'clock she had said goodnight to me and retired to her room for the night. I could not understand why the room was so empty and I thought to myself, didn't I just speak to her? Didn't I just say goodnight? Where is she? And he describes how that reality was so shattering to him. Even though we know that something happened. But when you confront that reality of something that you loved so much and then is gone, each time you confront it, it's so painful. Look at number three. Every individual is confronted with this tragic feeling, on something that was here so recently, something that was a part of my life, but now it is so abstract and inaccessible, it is so remote. These painful feelings, they make us feel guilty and regret, sometimes intense shame. It can make us insane and hysterical to think about all of these emotional feelings 
But it's not realistic. We can think, we can wish. I only wish this person came back. It's not the way it goes. They are found, Rachok, Rachok Mikan, they are very far away. Why do we mention all of this? When we're talking about Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Aseris Yimei Tshuva, Yimei HaSlichos, Yomim Noroim, Bitsura Domez says of Salavechik, in the same similar vein that we experience life with the people that we feel so close to, Choseres Tofa Zub about Tshuva. This is what the process of Tshuva is supposed to mean for us. Kisha Yehudi, look at number four, Chote. What happens when a person does something that they shouldn't do? What is that experience? Of course, we did something wrong. But what happens? We are expelling the Rebona Shalom, who is the closest entity in our lives. We are sending him away. We are sending him away. Chilo Shabbos. So you think, okay, I was Machal Shabbos. Achilas Trefus. I go on my vacation. Is the Hashkacha good? Not so good. I don't know. Doesn't really matter. What's really going to happen? Not eating lobster. Realize what happens when you make that decision. You make that decision to eat in that restaurant that does not have a Hashkacha. To go to that place and to cut the corners that we know we shouldn't cut. Isuri Arayas, to find ourselves in a position that we know we shouldn't be in. Isuri Arayas doesn't just mean inappropriate relationships. It means everything that comes before that. Everything that leads us to that ultimate mistake. But when you think about all of that, so what happens? Okay, I made a mistake. I did something wrong. Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have eaten that. Shouldn't have been involved in this. Shouldn't have traveled to this place. It's much larger than that. When that happens, it's matilim mechitzos barzal ben ha'adam le'elokim. You are constructing, you are establishing a wall between yourself and ha'kadosh baruch. Ba'haschalav yesh ve'ein ha'adam margish bekach. In the beginning, you don't really grasp what's happening. You don't really understand what the implication of your decision actually is. After all, he says, sometimes when a person suffers a tragic loss, they also don't really appreciate what that loss is until later on in the process it hits them. A year later, sometimes five years later, they feel the loneliness, they feel the emptiness. They realize, I am so, so distant and removed from what once was. And at the beginning, sometimes you have such a shock that you're not able to appreciate or realize what it is. And he writes, sometimes after the shiva, the commotion and all the noise and all the friends and all the community coming together, the most difficult morning is when you wake up the morning after shiva. And your friends are not in your house. And you wake up and you see that that presence in your life is no longer. And that's horrifying. And sometimes he says the same way that that is the way it is in our personal experience of life. That's the way it also is in our spiritual experience of life. We do one thing, we do something else, it pushes us further, makes a little mechitza, makes a barrier, a separation between ourselves and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're no longer in total alignment. And then over time, you wake up one day and you say, I am so empty. I am so far away from that vision that I once had. Think about it this way. I look around in our community Many of the members of our community in my generation went to Israel for the year, went to Israel for two years, did really well, grew a lot, made a commitment that they were going to live their lives in a certain way. I'm 37 years old. 
I look around at some who are my age, a little bit older, and I sometimes wonder, when you left Israel at 20 years old, 21 years old, when you married your wife at 22 or 23, and you committed to a certain style of life, how did you go from there to this? How did that happen? It didn't happen because anyone is bad, I don't think. It didn't happen because you made a conscious decision that you don't want to live by those commitments anymore. It didn't happen because anybody talked you into a different way of life. It happened because one thing led to another thing. Life took over. I became too busy. I can't commit myself to come to shul anymore. It's too hard. I can't commit myself to this, to that. And, and everything in isolation makes sense. But in the aggregate, when you look at everything together, look, my children need a vacation. We need to go away. Where are we going to go? Everyone's going here. Is it an appropriate vacation? Well, you're not thinking about these things. But once one thing leads to the next, your problem continues to grow and your distance becomes greater and greater. And that mechitza between yourself and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, suddenly you wake up at 45 years old and I'm seeing this happen and you say, where am I? I haven't grown one iota since I was 20. How can this be? What happened to me? I'm lost in life. I'm lost in my experience of life. I'm just doing. Where I'm going, where I'm headed, why I'm doing, I have no idea, but I'm doing. I'm just doing. And says Absalavechik, sometimes the same way when a person goes through a personal tragedy, a personal loss, it takes them sometimes a while to realize that distance that it now exists between themselves and the one who has departed. I recently met with an almana who told me that she felt so close and connected to her husband. They had an amazing, wonderful marriage and they were really supportive of each other. He was sick in the end and she really took care of him. And she said, for the first year, I used to hear him in the house all the time. He was in my dreams. I heard him. He was with me. And she said at the yard site, she had a conversation with him. Now, I was listening to this. What does it mean you had a conversation with him? You had a conversation with yourself. So she had a conversation with him. And what was the conversation? She said, I don't want you to be held back from the place in Gan Eden where you belong. But I'm holding you back because you're here with me. So I want you to go on your way. And I want you to give me the strength that I should be able to go on my way. All of this is in one's imagination. Of course, none of it is reality. But when you think about that, that was the first time that it hit her, like, my husband is not here. And she told me the emptiness that she felt after that conversation was so tremendous. Until that point, she felt he's still here. He's not, he's not here, but he is here. I feel him, I'm with him. And now I gave him permission to leave me. Before your permission, he left already. But I gave him permission and now he's gone. And now what? Sometimes it's a process for a person to realize that void in their life. And says of Salavechik, we should feel the same way with regard to our own spirituality as well. Look at the bottom paragraph in number four of the Hayyuhudi. Lo chashuv be'ezel gilhu. It doesn't matter what age you are. Le'ezel tachana yigia b'chayav. Doesn't matter where you are in life, what age, what stage. Maschil is gagel eribonisholola. At some point, we are all going to have a sense of yearning, of craving, of languishing for something that is so missing, for something that is so lacking in our lives that should be there. Vadam shekamosi. The same way he says, I wake up in the middle of the night and I frantically walk around my house looking for my wife who has died already. But it hits me again. And I come to that reality when I turn around after turning, closing the window because of the storm and I realize the person who I'm trying to help is not here. And it hits you. The one major difference is when I sit here, he says, and I worry about my wife who is no longer, my father is not with me, my loved ones 
who were once so dear to me and so close to my experience of life, when I think about that and I contrast it with the Ribbon Shalom, you know what the difference is? What I wish for all my relatives is an unrealistic expectation. They're not here. But when I have that wish and desire for the Ribbonu Shalolam, it's possible. I can bring that entity back into my life. You ask a person, as we said, what would I give? How much money would I pay to have another few minutes with the person who I love most? Look at number five. The first paragraph. Who rots my hair? Yosir mimashahaya ragil larots mipnation is rachik. Imagine. You have a child that gets lost in a department store. We've all seen it happens every year during Ben Ezmanim in Eretz Yisrael and in America. There are children who go hiking somewhere and they're not safe or whatever happens, they get lost. And there's a massive search that is done. And finally, sometimes, we hope, with the assistance of everybody who gets involved, they're found. And two or three days went by and the parents are in agonizing pain, worrying, where are their children? What should they do? How does that parent run to that child? When they get a call, come, we found your child and they're safe. They'll drop everything in the world. It doesn't matter what they're in the middle of. Doesn't matter who they're in the middle of texting or what conversation they're in the middle of having or which country they find themselves in. They will do everything in the world to get there as quickly as possible. Now, when my child is playing with me in the park and I'm on my phone not paying attention to them, I don't have that feeling. But when I thought I was going to lose that person and then it's brought back into my life, there's nothing I wouldn't do to have every moment of that experience come back to me. You can have elderly people who don't know how to run, but yet they're going to bring themselves to run when they see their child in the distance. If I was given the opportunity to see my father again, would I not run at lightning speed to wherever it is that I was told to go to see my father, to see my wife, to see my husband, to see my child? That's what happens when we give ourselves the opportunity to re-experience a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When you think about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and you're trying to figure out where am I going to daven this year? How do you make that decision? Is it decided based on what time we start, what time we end, how long the break is? Or is it decided upon based on how am I going to have the best possible opportunity to feel the Rebona Shalom's presence back in my life again? During the year, I'm busy. That, he says, is like the Shiva and the Shloshim. It's tumultuous, a lot going on. Now I block out three days in the year, Rosh Hashanah v'Yom HaKippurim. Three days in the year when I'm going to focus my attention on my beloved. When I'm going to be reunited with the entity that is most important to me in my own life. How do I make that decision where to go? I just came back from Eretz Yisrael. Number one, despite everything that we're seeing in the news, Tova Haaretz Ma'od Ma'od. Eretz Yisrael is an amazing, unbelievable place. Eretz Asher, Ene Hashem Elokecha Ba, Meireshis Hashana Adach Rishana. You feel the presence of the Ribbon Shalalam. You walk the streets and you see. This is a dream of the Jewish people for the last few thousand years and we are the generation who is blessed to live it, to experience it, to see it, to be a part of it. It's amazing. I went to Shul Shah this morning. We were in Svat. My sister has a summer home in Svat. So I asked her, where should I daven? So she doesn't go that often. She wasn't sure. I decided to go, there was a Kloisenberger Shul 
few blocks away. They had minyanim at the time when we were looking. We stumbled upon it. We went in. Nothing's moving. It's 8.30 in the morning. So I finally tapped someone on the shoulder and I said, when does davening start? They said, nine. Okay. I've never been in such a long davening in my life. And I've never appreciated a davening as much as I did in my life. Nobody has anywhere to go. There's nothing else going on in the world. They said every word of Suke de Zimra together out loud. My nephew was ready to jump out the window and he left. He's like, I can't do this. My kids somehow survived. I was amazed. Every word of laning. We actually heard it. Not a sound in shul. Everyone says the Haftorah together. When was the last time you listened to a single word of the Haftorah? Forget about talking during Haftorah. When was the last time you listened or heard or appreciated a single word of the Haftorah? These are divrei hanaviyim. Well, there, everybody, one person says the bracha, and then everybody recites the Haftorah. You read the words of the Nevi'im. Shabbos Nachamu. Shivit and Echemta. You're reading the words of consolation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is communicating to us. But we miss it because who's paying attention? But there they said it. Every single word. Every word. They got up to Hodu. Hodu Lashem Kitov Kili Olam Chazda. Took like 10 minutes to say Hodu. They said it responsibly. Chazan says one line. Everyone responds. You ever thought of it that way? You're actually thanking the Ribbon Shalom for everything you have in your life. To me, it was the most amazing tefillah I've ever had. It was just amazing. And there was no air conditioning. And it was boiling hot and jam-packed. And nobody cared. Think about it. Where are you going to daven this Rosh Hashanah? And why are you making the choice that you're making? Why are you davening there? Are you davening there because you honestly believe that this is going to be the greatest opportunity that you'll have to connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu without any noise around you? Or are you choosing it for other reasons? It's a question that all of us should ask ourselves and make accommodations appropriately. One of the highlights for me, I mean, it was a big highlight for me being in Eretz Yisrael in general. Being in Eretz Yisrael with my children with zero communal responsibility was, I think, the only time in my life I've had that. I said to my wife before, so far I'm getting on the plane and I have not agreed to speak anywhere. And we stuck to it. And it was really, really a special time with family. But being in Eretz Yisrael and just being inspired, you know, I feel every time I go to Eretz Yisrael, I feel so small. For so many reasons. You see people who are doing real things. And they're so unassuming and they're so simple. And they don't even appreciate what it is that they're contributing, what it is that they're doing. It always amazes me. So, one of my last days in Eretz Yisrael, I don't know how many people in the room have heard of Rab Melech Biederman. Rab Melech Biederman is a very famous personality in our generation. He's a complete anomaly, someone who you can't really put in a box at all. He's a Lelever Chassid who has a tremendous following all over the world. His weekly Dibre Torah are printed in Hebrew, in Russian, in French, in Spanish, in English. He has Talmidim all over the world. He's a ball of fire, an extremely, extremely inspiring personality who doesn't have his own shul. So he just travels the country, goes all around and inspires people. And he deliberately does not want to build his own shul because he said, I don't want to be a threat to anybody else. All these Rebbes want to have their Hasidim, they should know I'm not vying for their position. And because of that, he is beloved by every community and he is welcomed by all of them. And he goes around and inspires and he's, he has a lot to say. He has printed many, many svarim. 
He's a Mayan Hamizgaber, a fascinating person. So I bump into a guy in shul one morning and he says, you know, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? He says, well, I came for a Melech Biederman is making a wedding tonight. His son is getting married. I said, so what are you doing here? So he tells me he's very close with him and he's going to the wedding. He asked me, would you like to join? So I thought it would be a chavaya for my two older kids. So we went to B'nai Brak, we went to the wedding. Now, Rabbi Melech Biederman's son got married to the daughter, the granddaughter of the Vizhnitzer Rebbe. So if the Vizhnitzer Rebbe was making a wedding on his own, it would have been 25,000 people as is. If Rabbi Melech Biederman was making a wedding on his own, it also would have been. You put them together, it was an amazing spectacle. And there we are, sitting in the front with this guy who flew in all the way from America to come and participate in this wedding. And what I was most amazed by was every, I would say, five to seven minutes, we were there for a long time. We left Yerushalayim at 3.30, we got back at almost one in the morning. And we didn't even stay for anything. It was just getting started. Every five to seven minutes, Rabbi Melech Biederman took the microphone, stopped the music, stopped the dancing, stopped the chuppah, whatever was going on, and gave a speech. Now, most of us would go crazy. Why did nobody have a problem? Because everything he spoke about was trying to explain the meaning of what it is that we're doing. So he stopped every niggin in the middle to explain what are the words of the song? Why are we singing it? What does this mean? Why is it meaningful? And this is what he was doing the whole night. It was amazing to me. So in the middle of the chuppah, which is usually very formal, in the middle of the chuppah, he did the same thing. He starts taking the mic, stopping everything and giving speeches. And he gave a bunch. And one of them that he said in the middle, it just showed me like such a balavoda, a person who actually thinks about everything that's going on. Whether you agree with him, you don't agree with him, you like what he says, you don't like, it doesn't matter. A person who's actually living life thinking about everything. So he gets up and he says, you know, first of all, he said, the Gemara says that a shidduch is just as hard as Kriyas Yamsuf. As amazing of a miracle as Kriyas Yamsuf was, so too is HaKadosh Baruch Hu making zivugim, making a shidduch come together. So he said, I have a question. I'm looking around, again, thousands of people. He said, I'm looking around, everyone looks very serious. When a shidduch actually comes through and they get married, that means that it's similar to Kriyas Yamsuf. Right? If the Gemara says it's as hard as Kriyas Yamsuf, that means when it actually works out, it's the same great miracle as Kriyas Yamsuf. He says, let me ask you. Do you think when the Jews were walking through the Yamsev, this is what they look like? You think they were all so serious and so sad and shuckling back and forth? They were, maybe they were a little happy. Maybe they were a little excited that finally we're getting out of Mitzrayim. So he says, I look around the room here, or the streets of Ben Abrak, and I'm wondering, why does everybody look so sad? We're experiencing Kriyas Yamsev. I ask you, how many times have you heard that vart by Yeshever Brachos? Kriyas Yamsev, Shidduch, everybody knows. When was the last time you ever thought about it? You ever thought about it? This is Kriyas Yamsuf. This is what it is. It's an amazing miracle. So he gets up in the middle of the chuppah and he gives another speech and he says, a lot of people had tainas on him. It's a little inappropriate. You know, Elul in Eretz Yisrael is not like here. It's very intense and very serious. And... It should be that here also, but it's not. So, he says, many people had tainas on him. How do you make a wedding in the middle of Elul? It's just not appropriate. Why would you make a wedding in the middle of Elul? Wait till after Yom And he said, he thought about it. And his response was, when we're trying, when we're talking about anila dodi vidodi li, when I'm talking about reigniting a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when I'm thinking about bringing my most beloved back into my life, is there a better way to remind myself of that feeling than to celebrate a wedding? Is there a greater way for me to imagine what I want this relationship to look like and feel like and be experienced than to come to a wedding and experience it with someone in a physical way and celebrate with them and realize this is what Rosh Hashanah is. What is Rosh Hashanah? What is Aserosimei Tshuva? What is Yom HaKippurim? It's an opportunity for a person to realize 
I'm getting married. Anila Dodi Vidodi Li, I'm marrying my most beloved, I'm marrying the Ribona Shalolam, who is so distant from me, who has been such a void in my life, who because of all the things that go on during the year is not a presence in my life. And yet, I'm prepared to get back involved in that relationship. Is there a better way to do that than to go to an actual wedding and see how happy a chasen and kala are and realize how happy everybody else is for them and to celebrate with them, to realize that that's just a glimpse of everything that's supposed to be going on spiritually. Can there be a better way to prepare for Rosh Hashanah than that? I was amazed by the perspective. And it reminded me of something I've said here many times. But the Gemara says in Maseches Erevin that our world in some way is considered to be like a wedding. Like a festive wedding celebration. What exactly does it mean that our world is like a West, uh, festive wedding celebration? The Rishonim, the Mepharshim all have trouble trying to figure out exactly what it means. Everybody gives their own interpretation. But one of the Talmudia Abal Shemtev, the Toldos Yaakov Yosef writes that perhaps what it means is as follows. You come to a wedding... And you have so many different things going on there. And you have many guests and participants who show up. And a lavish cuisine and a whole array of food. And everyone's enjoying themselves. And then you go into the other part of the room and there's what to drink. And so many different rooms and things to look at. And a band and a singer and a choir and everything. All of that. It's beautiful. Come to the chuppah. And the Masada Kedushin turns to the chasen and Kali and says, Okay, let's get serious. All of this is just background. Now we're going to get married. Ask the chassan, can you take out the ring? Pulls it out, shows it to him. Okay, here's your moment. You're going to turn to the kala and you're going to say, Harei at mikudeshasli. And that's what the whole night is. And he hesitates and he's like, you know, to be honest, I can't make this commitment. And he walks away from the chuppah. What happens to all the guests who are in the room? What happens? Suddenly, everyone starts squirming and it becomes very uncomfortable for everybody there. Should we look? Should we not look? Should we, like, should we leave? Should we stay? What's the point of staying if they're not really getting married? We're going to go have a meal without them? Seems a little strange. We're going to have music and dancing without a chasen and kala who got married, wouldn't seem to be appropriate. Suddenly, the whole experience, which was so magnificent, becomes really uncomfortable. Writes the Toldos Yaakov Yosef, that's what it means. Our world is like a wedding celebration. The Ribbon Shalom wants us to enjoy everything in this world. And he wants us to feel fulfilled and satisfied he wants us to take advantage of his world. That's why it's here. People often make a mistake. What was the first instruction given to Adam Arisha? People say, don't eat from the Eitz Not correct. The Meshachachma writes the obvious. He states the obvious. The first thing that was instructed to Adam Arisha was, Mikal Eitz Tochel. Eat from all the trees in the garden. However, do not eat from that one. But the first thing God told him is, Mikol enjoy the world. That's why I created it. It's here for you. All of that, says the Baal Shem Tov, makes sense. Enjoying life and experiencing life and having pleasure and feeling gratified and satisfied with the experience of life is all great, provided that at some point in life you turn around and you say to the Ribbono Shalom, Harei at Mekudeshesli. If at some point... You're prepared to make a commitment to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, That you're really trying to live life for some more noble purpose. There's some ambition to my life. There's some direction. There's some expectation that I have of myself. Some higher purpose. But if that never happens, then all of life becomes very awkward. What are you doing? What are we doing? What is this about? What is it for? What is it for? We need to ask ourselves those questions. Are we prepared 
to be that person who realizes that there's a tremendous void in our lives, but it's a void that we can actually fill. It's a relationship that is possible to bring back into a reality. The Gemara tells a story in Bab Metziah, simple story about Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the great Rebbe, that he was walking down the street one day, and there was another individual walking right next to him. It was, happened to be, it was a shochet, the local shochet of the town. The two of them were going together. Rebbe was on his way to go somewhere. The shochet was on his way to go slaughter an animal. And of course, if a shochet is walking somewhere, he needs to have an animal to slaughter. So there was a little egel, a little calf that was walking next to the shochet. The egel realizes that there are two people in front of him. One of them is the shochet. One of them is Rebbe. And the eagle quickly runs to hide and take shelter under the jacket of Rebbe. Rebbe bends down on the floor and says, excuse me, what, what exactly is happening? And the eagle turns to Rebbe and says, this man next to you is about to kill me. Save me. He's about to end my life. Save me. Save me from his knife. Rebbe looks at him and he says, I I appreciate your anxiety and your concern, but in the end of the day, we're told, We all have a purpose in the world. My purpose is to be Rebbe and to teach Torah and to do what I'm supposed to do. The Shochet's purpose is to provide meat and food for the community. And your purpose is to go along with the plan. Your purpose is to be the one who is the subject of the Shochet. So, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to let you go. And the Gemara says that Rebbe was punished so miserably for what he did. The Gemara describes that he had such terrible Yisurim that, I don't know if it's an exaggeration, I'm not sure, but the Gemara says that when he would cry from his Yisurim, they heard him blocks away from his house because it was so painful. And all of that the Gemara attributes to this experience between Rebbe and this little calf. So what's this all about? So the Mepharshim explain that although Rebbe is correct in theory, yes, animals are in the world, people need things to eat, we have a right to slaughter animals, to eat them properly, Of course, that's true. But when an animal comes to you and begs you to be the only one to save them, how do you not show compassion? When somebody turns to you and says, you're the only one that can save my life. You know, sometimes, I spoke about your father a few weeks ago. It happens to be, it was the week you weren't here. But your father really inspired me in so many different ways. Just from the one time I met him and heard him speak for 15 minutes. One of the things that he said was, her father is Mr. Wallowitz from Lawrence, who does tremendous chassadim. And one of his areas of focus among many of his charitable givings is that he, I'm not sharing anything private. I'm sharing something that he's very proud to share with others, and he should be proud. One of the projects that he's taken upon himself in a very serious way is to take care of divorced women in the Five Towns community who just can't pay the bills, whose ex-husbands are really not contributing for whatever reason. And he took it upon himself, we don't have to get into the history, but he took it upon himself to look after every divorced woman in our community. Amazing. And he said that there was somebody in the neighborhood who he was talking to about this project and somebody said to him, you know, it's not right. All these women who are divorced from other communities have heard what's going on here and they all move in here because they know we're going to take care of them. It's not fair. There should be like a minimum amount of time that they have to live in our neighborhood to be deserving of our help. That's what this person claimed. Interesting, Taina. It's true. The Gemara does say in Basra that, you know, in order to put a tax on someone, they have to live in a community for a certain amount of time and not everybody should be deserving of services, whatever it is. 
But listen how he reframed it to this individual. He said, Don't you feel privileged that we live in a community that everybody else knows if I'm in need, I can go to the five towns and the Jews there are going to help me. Isn't that the biggest blessing in the world? I can live anywhere else and I won't be helped. Or I don't say anywhere else. I can live wherever I am and nobody's caring about me. I can move to the five towns and there's somebody out there who's actually going to make sure that my bills are going to be paid. Of course I'm going to go there. Don't you feel blessed to be a part of such a community? You're worrying about how long the person's living here and whether they're deserving of our help. That's what you're worrying about. Shouldn't you thank the Rebona Shalom every day that there's somebody begging at your doorstep that you can actually help? You can do something for? So the Mepharshim explained, you're right, Rebbe, in theory it's correct. In theory it's correct. Sof behema yes, an animal's destiny is, at some point, they're going to be used for human consumption. Great. But when that animal is crouching down in front of you, Rebbe, how do you not show Rachmanus? How do you not show a sense of humanity? How do you not show compassion? The animal is crying to you and saying, you're the only way that I can get out of this misery. We have Anim who come around the neighborhood and sometimes they're collecting for an organization, for something big. You feel differently when it's somebody knocking at your door who says, I don't have food to eat. My children are starving. You can, you can sniff out somebody who's real. You know. You don't start interrogating that person and asking all kinds, well, how many children do you have? And when was the last time they had a hot meal? You don't ask questions. You take care of them. And sometimes you give them more than you otherwise would give other people because how do you not have compassion when somebody is standing in front of you and telling you that you're the only way that I'm going to survive this? You're the only way I'm going to make it through. So one of the Bali Musa said, as he read that story in Bab Metziah of Rebbe, do you think if the Rebbe Shalom punished Rebbe for not being compassionate enough when somebody turned to Rebbe and said, you're the only one who can save me. Imagine if all of us turned to the Rebbe Shalom and said, you are the only one who can save me. Ki lecha levad we say it in the Elah. You are the only way, the only path out of my misery. There is nothing else in the world. And yes, I have all the connections and I have the phone numbers of all the important people in my community and outside and I'm a very big macher and I have so much money and I have all the things in the world that people show off about. But in the end of the day, I put all of that aside and I say to the Rebona Shalom, I have no one to rely upon other than you. There is nobody in the world who can save me with all my connections and with everybody that I know and with all my Rolodex that I have in my phone and with all the money that I've accumulated and all my successes, there is nobody in the world that can help me other than you. Do you think if Rebbe was punished by the Rebona Shalom for not showing compassion to somebody, to an entity, to a Balchai, to an animal, who came crying to him for help and mercy. And Rebbe turned a blind eye and said, I'm sorry, you know, I can't. In theory, you're right, but I'm sorry. Do you think the Rebona Shalom would be less compassionate than that? The only difference is, we don't see ourselves in that way. We don't realize the same way sof behema l'shchita, sof adam lamus. There's no reason, there's no justification why I should have life. It has to be that the Rebona Shalom wants me to have life. And if that is the case, I need to turn to him on Rosh Hashanah, Yom HaKippurim, Yimei Aslichos, and I need to say, there's nothing else in my life that will save me. There's nothing else in the world that will give me comfort other than you. It's only you. And if I would only turn to the Rebona Shalom and sincerely believe that, you're the only one who can bring me the Yeshua that I need, the Parnassah that I'm missing, the Shidduch that I need in my family, the Nachas for my children, the good health that I need, all the different things that people daven for, that people yearn for, that people need. If they would turn to the Rebona Shalom and actually believe that there's nobody else in the world who can help them, 
with all the clinics I've been to and with all the doctors that I've consulted with and with all the business people who've tried to help me and with everything else, I put it all aside and I say to the Ribbona Shalolam, I'm going to hide under your jacket because you're the only one who can save me. Do you think he would push you aside? You know, during this time of the year, we say it just about 50 times. L'david Hashem Oriviyishi, we say it twice a day, every day. Many different things to focus on there. But something I noticed this morning. We say a pasuk, Ki avi v'imi azavuni v'ashem ya'asveni. Is there anybody in our lives who we depend on more than our parents? Who will be more supportive and encouraging to us than our parents? They're the biggest advocates for their children. That's human nature. It's the way it should be. Sometimes even to a fault. You have a child who does something wrong and the parents will defend the child even when they shouldn't. You have somebody who's arrested and the parents will defend them till the end, even though it's inappropriate to defend them. They've done something wrong. They need to pay a price. But that's natural human instinct is that a parent will be the greatest person to encourage their child, the greatest advocate for their child. And sometimes, Ava Mikalkelas Asashura, sometimes that intense love that they have for their child will make them have a wrong judgment call. They're not going to defend their child appropriately all the time. But that's the greatest advocate a person has is their parent. When all else fails. What do we say in Lidavid Hashem Ori? Ki avi vi'imi azavuni. There are times in our lives when we feel even our parents who are the greatest advocates, who are the greatest supporters, who are the greatest admirers of our work, even if other people don't appreciate it, our parents always do, Even those people who we trust so much and who believe in us so fiercely have left us. Ki avi v'imi azavuni v'hashem yasveni. That's a very critical line to think about. To realize that that's really what this season of year is about. Don't take comfort in the fact that you have a lot of money that you have parents, that you have siblings, that you have a community that supports you. Because none of that will get you anywhere when we're talking about real life. Put everything else aside. Put even your greatest advocate aside. And realize, ki avi azavuni, when my parents are not going to be able to advocate for me, it's at that moment that the Ribbonu Shalom comes in, v'hashem ya'asveni. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will step in and be willing to be your beloved advocate, to be the one who is supportive to you. To be that one who, when you put yourself under his jacket, b'tzel k'nafecha yechasayun, when you put yourself under his care, and you say that there is nothing else in the world that will bring me comfort, nothing else in the world that will bring me goodness in my life other than you, do you think the Ribbona Shalom is not going to respond? Do you think he'll be less than what he expected of Rebbe, of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, when he shooed away the animal and was punished for that? You think the Ribbona Shalom won't show humanity? That's what this is. It's realizing, first of all, the recognition of Ga'aguim, like Rav Salavechik described, realizing how distant we are from that which we love most. But at the same time that we realize that, although in our own life experience, when we have something that is so remote, so distant, so unreachable for us, it won't come back. We won't be able to recreate that. But when it comes to our relationship in spiritual matters with the Ribbona Shalom, although we feel a tremendous chasm, a tremendous void, something that is very distant and unreachable, if we only focus on it, it is a reality that can be brought back into all of our lives as it once was when we were first born. The purity of a young child is something that can be recreated in anyone who takes the process of tshuva seriously. And that's really what this season of year is about. And that's an emphasis that, among many, should be put 
into the forefront of all of our minds. So Amir Tashem, as we go through the season and as we continue to grow together, we should have this opportunity to realize Ki Avi Vi'imi Azavuni Hashem Yasvein. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who we can always rely upon, who we should put all of our faith in, who we should put all of our understanding toward. And Amir Tashem should be able to bring us a Shnas Chaim V'Shalom, Shnas Ge'ula Yeshua with many, many wonderful simchas and great milestones that we can share together. Wishing everyone a wonderful day.